Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, why are the warnings about dangerous inflatable toys being used on beaches not being taken notice of? After several near drownings, the National Water Safety Organisation would welcome a ban on them. Some members of the public have suggested to me that they should be banned from our beaches and this could be done by the introduction of a ban through the local authorities' bylaws. This is a political decision to be made by the councillors and Water Safety Ireland would welcome such a ban. And why are more unusual seabirds arriving on Irish waters? The story of the booby who came to Greystones, but unfortunately it didn't have a happy ending. It's extremely interesting to see these exotic visitors in Irish waters of course, we also need to ask why increasing numbers of tropical seabirds from both the Atlantic and Pacific are turning up in European waters. Something would appear to be changing in the oceanic environment. And we'll also have the latest significant development on the campaign by a Cork solicitor for an investigation into Irish maritime safety. This Island Nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme, coming to you from Community Radio Yall, CRY 104FM, on the East Cork coastline, and bringing together the maritime community, an island people bonded by the sea around us. You can contact the programme by email to thisislandnation at gmail.com. That's thisislandnation at gmail.com. And by phone or text to 0872 555 197. That's 0872-555-197. Justin Marr and myself will be bringing you on a maritime cruise for the next half hour around this island nation. We start with the issues which have been raised about Irish maritime safety regulations and investigations. Gardaí have confirmed that they are examining allegations of misconduct in public office in relation to investigations into seafaring tragedies and the implementation of maritime safety regulations to determine if a criminal act has occurred and where a criminal investigation should or might be undertaken. This follows maritime lawyer Michael Kingston, the leading figure in complaints about the Marine Casualty Investigation Board, which was held not to be independent of government by the European Court of Justice. He has been making complaints and he made them to Garda headquarters in January. He told me that the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, had written to him, announcing that there would be an investigation. Well, the department say that they're taking legal advice, um, urgent legal advice, but there's no real legal advice to take. The European Court of Justice is definitive, having asserted the legal position that Ireland's Marine Casualty Investigation Board is fundamentally illegal because department officials have been on the board, um, which is totally contrary to the international Um, legal framework which is enshrined in the European Directive and it's quite straightforward the board needs to be independent um, from the state the um, government need to reconstitute the board completely the chairperson who 
um, has asserted um, in the Rottus that it is independent needs to resign for misleading the the Rottus and and um, we need a board that is independent so that those who are setting Ireland's framework maritime safety framework are not sitting on the board because effectively what they've been doing is analysing their own work and making recommendations to themselves um, and, and that is um, fundamentally incorrect and, and maritime tragedies have not been investigated properly so we need a totally independent board and what we actually need is a complete root and branch review of our whole approach to maritime safety. I don't know why they need to seek legal advice. They need to stop wasting money and get on with it urgently. You've been pursuing this now for something like six years or more. Are you satisfied with the decision? I'm very satisfied with the decision because I have been through hell and back trying to explain to the government that our maritime safety framework is broken totally broken and it has been it's a it's a recurring culture that goes back um to the time of the witty island disaster a failure to look at our own regulatory framework which ultimately was the reason why um the witty island disaster happened because we didn't have a proper regulatory enforcement in place and now Europe have um, declared that our approach is, is fundamentally incorrect. So it's, it's an incredible step forward in the right direction, not just for me and the families of those who suffered in Woody Island, but for every single person as we speak today who goes anywhere near the sea, of which there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands at the moment around Ireland enjoying... Um, a bit of freedom following COVID-19 near the coast and, and they don't know what, what danger they're actually in because we don't have a governance that is protecting them because we, we've, we've completely failed in terms of our approach to maritime safety. So the, to, to be backed up by a judgment of the European Court of Justice is, um, is an incredible day. Obviously that is a vindication of your views, Michael Kingston. So I take it you'll be still following this up and keeping a close eye on it? Oh, I will be um, keeping a very close eye on it, and it, it will be seen through. It's been a long um, struggle, and um, I've met a lot of good people along the way, people like Anne-Marie O'Brien, whose brother, John O'Brien, drowned off Helvig Head um, in 2010 um, with his friend Pat Esmond, and there investigation into into their um how they'd bide raised a lot of questions and they fought tooth and nail and marie o'brien to try and get something done um, with the assistance of matty mcgrath who tried to get the marine casualty investigation board amended we met and then i explained to them the this fundamental breach of european law and um We've, with people like Amory O'Brien, we've we've had a hard struggle, um, and we're not the sort of people that will um, rest until it is sorted out, and and it will be sorted out, and we will achieve a position where we have a proper safety framework in place. Maritime lawyer Michael Kingston, and what will be an ongoing issue about maritime safety for some time, it seems. 
Another safety issue on the water is that of the use of inflatables at the country's beaches. These are not the type of dinghies which are used by sailors or anything like the rigid inflatable. They're inflatable toys, not suited for use on open beaches facing into the open sea. There have been several instances in recent weeks where the emergency services, fishing boats and other leisure craft and people ashore have spotted and rescued people getting into difficulty on these inflatables. Children in them were blown out to sea. Two men who had lost the paddles they were using were rescued by a fishing boat off the Cork coast. Despite all the warnings not to use them at sea, people are still doing so. John Leach, Chief Executive of Water Safety Ireland, the state body for safety on the water, would welcome a ban on their use. There have been several rescues of casualties from inflatable toys over the last few weeks. Two lucky men were rescued from an inflatable canoe off the approach to Cork Harbour last week. They were not wearing life jackets, they had lost one of their paddles, and this toy cost them 49.99 from a local supermarket. These casualties were very lucky that it did not cost them their lives. And save for the vigilant eye of a former lifeboatman in Crosshaven, who was out fishing, they would almost certainly have drowned in their swamped canoe. In May, six children were rescued in separate instances along the west coast after their floating toys were swept out to sea. Then a five-year-old girl was taken to hospital after being rescued in the Shannon Estuary when she was swept out to sea on a lilo. A few days later, a six-year-old boy was rescued from the water at Renville in County Galway after being swept out to sea. We are fortunate to have a world-class search and rescue service coordinated by the Coast Guard with declared resources from the Ornelai and the community rescue boats. Members in our organisation often refer to these floating toys as the floating killers as that is exactly what they have done over the years. These include look-alike dinghies, canoes, kayaks, lilos, rings, sharks, seals and other assorted of fish and cetaceans. It is unfair on these rescue services to have to respond to these avoidable incidents. These toys are commonly used on the continent both in lakes, on the Mediterranean and on the Baltic. Continental weather during the summer months brings normally light or no winds or onshore sea breezes at the beach, and these are more predictable than our winds. In the Mediterranean, they experience diurnal tides, while in Ireland we experience semi-diurnal tides. This means that they have comparatively small tidal ranges and virtually no tidal currents. So they have comparatively fewer incidents with these floating toys as the toys are blown ashore and not out to sea. Conversely, in Ireland, we experience a temperate climate and have strong and changeable winds throughout most of the summer and very strong tides, especially when we have a new or full moon. To make matters worse, for these inflatables, we are an island nation with many beautiful bays which allows for these floating toys to be blown offshore. The lifeguards that we train learn about the dangers of these floating toys and are therefore advise parents or guardians when children bring them down to the beach not to use them. Whilst they can advise, they cannot prevent a citizen from using them. Some members of the public have suggested to me that they should be banned from our beaches, and this could be done by the introduction of a ban through the local authorities' bylaws. This is a political decision to be made by the councillors, and Water Safety Ireland would welcome such a ban as they are not safe on our waters and should be left behind following a holiday on the continent in that apartment or hotel room. This really is the safest place for them. 
Remember, in an emergency, call 112 and ask for the Coast Guard and always call early so that they can deploy a lifeboat or helicopter in time to save the person in distress. Until next month, stay safe on the water by wearing a life jacket and ashore by maintaining your social distance and washing your hands. John Leach, CEO of Irish Water Safety, and a warning that should be listened to about the dangers of inflatable toys. John reports to us from the headquarters of Water Safety Ireland, which is on the banks of the Corrib in Galway. And we hear more now about the Corrib and the longest race on international waterways in Europe, and it's also the oldest such race in Ireland. This is the Kong to Galway race, which will be held on the 22nd of this month. I took part in it once, and it's quite a challenge, as it races down Loch Corrib. This year, four Galway Maritime Clubs are organising it, and Ashford Castle is involved, all connecting with great marine history in Galway, including that there was once a plan to link Loch Corrib with Loch Mask by a canal. John Barry is secretary of Galway Bay Sailing Club, one of the four clubs which are organising the race, and he told me all about its history and the race itself, which dates back to 1882. There was certainly no shortage of boats up and down the Corrib uh, towards the kind of the middle to the end of the, the 19th century. Um, you know, it was very much a sort of a commercial artery kind of connecting the, the port of Galway to the, the hinterland kind of throughout West Connacht. You know, boating for pleasure, I suppose, in general, kind of really took off, you know, towards the end of the 19th century. You know, you had the sort of the building of the great one designs in Cork, Dublin, Belfast and that. And Galway was, was no exception. There was the, um, the the Corrib Club, you know, who are still very, you know, uh, very much the driving force behind this. The, the race um, were founded in around that time, um, as was the Commercial Boat Club and several other rowing clubs. And and then in 1882, the uh, Royal Galway Yacht Club was, was founded and um, uh, they kind of formalised the, the race, really, which ran, you know, the whole way from uh, their uh, clubhouse, which was, um, you know, in the fisheries field there near NUIG, all the way up to, to Ashford Castle for where they had lunch in um, near Kong and then uh, back down with a, a stop off at, at Kilbeg for, for refreshments and, and back down into the city. So there was kind of a, a round trip of, of over 16 nautical miles, which was uh, which was quite some achievement in, in one day. That continued, you know, that was a, kind of a very popular format and, um, you know, by all accounts was kind of quite an occasion uh, you know, there was apparently a sort of rivaled the Galway races in terms of activity around the, the city for uh, for quite a number of years, kind of right up until World War One, and um, you know when obviously a lot of the kind of sailing and boating activities were were much more curtailed. It has changed, of course, over the years, and now the the current one, the one that will be this year, is you know, is being organised by several clubs, including your own Galway Bay Sailing Club, and uh, Ashford Castle, with its um, strong connections with the Guinness family, and Arthur Guinness, who was one of the founders of the race, I gather. Yeah, so there's, the, the Guinnesses have been you know, very much involved with kind of activity on the lake, you know, uh, since, they, since they came to the castle, and um, you know, as was you know, both um, from a, a sporting and a pleasure perspective, and, and also kind of using the lake as sort of a means of um, and, and stimulating the local economy, you know, by, um, you know, the kind of 
sponsoring the kind of the, the steamer routes up and down the lake, and there was there was also a, an effort to, uh, to to build a canal connecting Loch Corrib and Loch Mask to kind of to open up the the, the hinterlands to, to trade there as well. Um, and you know, the, I suppose the, the ruins of, of that canal can, can still be seen around around the castle. But um, there was there were also you know the uh, the A. E. Guinness um, uh, was. A member of the, the Royal Galway Yacht Club, kind of when when it was uh, when the race was was founded, when both the club and the race were founded in 1882, and he was uh, obviously a very you know into into sailing in, in you know in a big way. He was also a member of the Royal Yacht Squadron in the UK, and was a, a rare commodore of the, the Royal St George in, in Dublin. And um, uh, interestingly, we still have his rare commodore Bergy, um in the in the committee room in uh, in Galway Bay Sailing Club to this day. But um, uh, I suppose he was quite a colourful character. He also had a, a flying yacht um, called Solent on the on the lake as well, which uh, must have been you know quite some sight in in early 20th century uh, Galway to, to see a flying yacht descending on the on the lake um, every now and again. Now, this year's race is going to be involving Corrib Rowing and Yachting Club, Common Shoal Torok and Spidale, Galway City Sailing Club, and your own one. And one of the, the major trophies uh, for the winner is the Corrib Rowing and Yachting Club's very particular trophy. The, the original trophy is, you know, has still been kept in the possession of the, the CRYC, and there is that um, that trophy will be presented to to the winners, um, along with uh, with an, uh, you know very lucky this year that um, Ashford Castle have sponsored a stay in the in the castle. Uh, for the the, the winning uh, helm and uh, a stay in the lodge for the crew, um, as as part of the prizes as well. So there is, you know, it's it's wonderful to have such a such a great prize uh, available to to the winners this year. Should be a big entry, I take it then, John. And 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 obviously we should also probably mention that once upon a time the route being followed to a certain extent would have been the old steamer route from Lislochry down to the city of Galway. Yeah, so that that's still very much the the route. I mean, there's um, I suppose the the kind of the days of the you know having you know sort of very large deep yachts on the lake has has gone somewhat because the you know various drainage schemes and so on over the years have lowered the level of the lake. So, um, um, but it is still the same kind of the it's the the the, the steamer route, the old steamer route um, from this lockery down uh, to to Galway. Um, it's with a stop at. Uh, it's kind of raised over two legs. There's one leg from Lislochery down to uh, Kilbeg, and it's stopped for lunch then at Kilbeg, and then the second leg starts at Kilbeg down to uh, to Galway, and and the finish line is kind of just by the um, UCG sports fields, and they're uh, just below Bushy Park between Bushy Park and and the city, and um, and there's uh, so that's that's still very much the route. So it's. Certainly not a, a race for the faint-hearted. There's the the channel is kind of quite narrow and rocky in patches, and uh, I suppose with the curtailment of a lot of events, there's a, a huge amount of interest this year. So um, there's um, a, it, it, we're, we're expecting a big turnout. So we just have to uh, hope that Lady Luck smiles upon us again this year, and that we have a, a nice day for it. So um, if anybody is interested, there's they can register online at the uh, you know via the Galway Bay Sailing Club website. The, the registration details are are there. And there's um, uh, the, the, the registration is online there for uh, for that.
John Barry of Galway Bay Sailing Club and the challenging Kong to Galway race and its wonderful history. Now Justin Marr takes a look at other maritime news from at home and overseas waters. The Department of Foreign Affairs is carrying out an investigation into an incident between the Donegal trawler Marleona and the British Royal Naval frigate HMS Lancaster, which told the trawler to leave an area 60 miles off Donegal, which is within the Irish exclusive economic zone. The Royal Navy has admitted that the incident took place when the frigate was on a training exercise with a submarine. It said that exchanges between the two vessels were courteous and insisted that the Lancaster's presence in the waters and its actions were lawful. The Norwegian government says that it wants to negotiate a comprehensive free trade agreement with the UK by the end of this year. This, it has said, is so that it can continue to sell its salmon and whitefish to Britain without disruption. The UK is Norway's fourth largest export market for seafood, mainly cod, haddock, farm salmon and shellfish, which are currently worth almost 7 billion kroner, that's 600 million euro, a year. Norway is not a member of the EU. The High Court has stopped razor shell dredging in the Waterford estuary. It has ruled that permission already given for dredging contravened the EU Habitats Directive because there had been no screening or appropriate assessment prior to the given approval. The environmental organisation Coastwatch has welcomed the decision. Its director, Karen Dubsky, said the ruling has implications for fishing activity on marine sites which are designated as Natura 2000 locations. And finally, scientists in Australia have identified, after lengthy research, the babies of one of the world's biggest fishes, the sunfish. They're so small that a dozen of them could fit on a human being's fingertip. Adult sunfish are the heaviest bony fish in the world, measuring up to 10 feet, that's 3 metres long, and weighing more than 4,400 pounds, or 2,000 kilograms. Adult sunfish look like flattened pancakes, topped by a massive dorsal fin like a shark's, with short bodies and no tail fin. to the story of that unusual bird which caused so much interest when it arrived on the beach at Greystones in County Wicklow. Though it got a great lot of public and media attention, not too many followed up to find out what happened to the bird. We did, through Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Ireland, who now tells us. Unfortunately, the story doesn't have a happy ending. Last month I covered some recent new seabird arrivals to Irish shores. As you may have heard in the news since then, we had yet another totally unexpected avian arrival that made national headlines. On the 13th of July, a tropical seabird called a brown booby, a close relative of the gannets that we're more familiar with here in the North Atlantic, was found standing on the south beach at Greystones, County Wicklow. Astonishingly tame and confiding, it was actively approaching beachgoers and even walking onto the picnic blankets. It was a very striking bird indeed. Chocolate brown above and on the head and neck, with a sharp border above the snow-white breast and belly, what drew the most attention were its huge yellow webbed feet, which looked almost like outsized Wellington boots. It also had a long triangular yellow beak and an endearing penguin-like waddling gait. This was the first time that a live brown booby had been seen from land in Ireland. This one was far off course. They live in places like the West Indies, Costa Rica and the Cape Verde Islands. 
There was a previous record from 2016 of one that landed on a fishing vessel off the Skelligs, but was another record that same year of the remains of a long dead bird found on the tide line in County Cork. Brown boobies are well known for their tolerance of humans. The name booby itself meant fool or idiot. It was given to these birds centuries ago by sailors in the tropics who found that they could simply pick up these large seabirds, which had no fear of man, and take them for the pot. The tameness of this ocean wanderer was indeed quite remarkable. Not alone did it have no fear of humans, it also seemed to have no fear of dogs. At one point, a curious spaniel came over and started to sniff at the bird, which simply stood there, totally unconcerned. The lost seabird soon attracted a lot of attention, with bird watchers and curious locals alike coming to see it. The bird seemed to be behaving normally enough and made frequent flights out over the bay, diving into the water to catch fish. Unlike a gannet, which makes a vertical plunge from the air, the booby made shallower, more angled dives. It then relocated to some nearby rocks to rest, before moving to the rock armour off Greystones Harbour, where it slept for the night. By 9.30 the following morning, it was back at its original location at South Beach. It alternated between resting on the shoreline and making those characteristic angled fishing dives, at least some of which were successful. The booby had become something of a celebrity by this stage, having been widely reported on social media both by birders and delighted beachgoers. A crew from RTE Television News even came to film it and to interview me and Sophia Lily Gilfoyle, a wonderfully enthusiastic seven-year-old girl whose video of the bird approaching her and her mother on the beach had gone viral. Unfortunately, by the evening it became clear that the booby was not doing well. It was seen floundering in the sea, so the National Parks and Wildlife Service made the decision to take it into care. It subsequently transpired that it was suffering from malnutrition and exhaustion and was 500 grams underweight. It had obviously been struggling to find enough food. Despite receiving expert treatment at the Kildare Animal Foundation's rehabilitation facility, unfortunately the bird died a couple of days later. Presumably exhausted following its long journey northwards and unable to fish effectively in waters that were much colder than those it was used to, it was too far gone to save. Amazingly, news subsequently broke that on the day before the brown booby was found in Greystones, a different individual alighted on a fishing vessel some 73 nautical miles southwest of Cape Clear Island, County Cork, remaining on board until roughly noon the following day. It's extremely interesting to see these exotic visitors in Irish waters, of course, but we also need to ask why increasing numbers of tropical seabirds from both the Atlantic and Pacific are turning up in European waters. Something would appear to be changing in the oceanic environment, and climate change may very well be playing a role. If you happen to spot an unusual seabird in Irish waters, please do let my colleagues and I at Birdwatch Ireland know. If you can send a photo, that would be especially appreciated. You can find all of our contact details at www.birdwatchireland.ie. Unfortunately, a sad end to that story. Which brings us to the end of this edition of the maritime programme This Island Nation, which is also broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland. In Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South, on Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, in Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM, Radio Corkabashkeen in Clare, Kilkenny City Radio, West Limerick 102 FM. In Mayo on Community Radio Castlebar and Eris FM Belmullet, Cork City Radio, West Cork FM, and Community Radio Bear Island. On Apple Podcasts and podcasts on Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify, and the marinetimes.ie. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. The program email address is thisisleatnation at gmail.com. That's thisisleatnation at gmail.com. Phone or text 0872 555 197. 
That's 0872-555-197. We're planning a few changes to the programme from next month to increase our maritime coverage and reportage. More about that later. It's all positive, which is an attitude needed nowadays. Until our next programme, from Justin Marr and from me, Tom McSweeney, the usual wish of fair sailing.